closing time Turn all of the lights on Over every boy and every girl Closing time One last call for alcohol So finish your whiskey or beer Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 559 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. And the reason why you heard closing time at the beginning of this podcast, as many of you know, I have a baby coming on the way. Baby Canada. No, his name is not Canada. I will reveal his name to the world when he is born healthy and happy. But you know that in a few weeks, I'm about to have my first child. So it's only natural that I take a break from this podcast. The show is not going away forever, so don't worry about that. But I have just two more podcasts that I'm going to give to you. This is one of them. So this is one of the final two shows I'm going to do before I go on an extended break of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I want to say, since I've been back, Since episode 501, we did 59 new shows about pinball. Many, many, many of you came back and checked out the show after I went on my break last time. But here's the big difference. This is a break that I finally get to do on my terms. It's not someone trying to go after my employer. It's not someone trying to aggressively shut this show down. This is me being able to walk away for a while on my own terms and it means so much to me that I get to do it this way. I really, really can't say thank you enough to everyone out there who came back and supported this show and we came back on the airwaves. I really do appreciate it. So here's what we're going to do on this podcast. I interview someone that I think could fill the void for you as you're looking for a weekly podcast that talks about what's going on in the hobby. So no pressure on this guy's shoulders as I send my fan base his way. But the reason I love his show is it's one guy in a mic, he's unbiased, and he just gives you his point of view without any agenda. And I think it's really important that we have more voices in this hobby that speak up and tell you how they really feel about something without an agenda. And it's getting harder and harder these days to find people who will do that. And I mean that, I mean that. And before I air this interview, I just wanna do one quick update on what's going on in the pinball world. And I wanna give advice to one company that's come out lately and spoken against me in a very strident, rude, and arrogant way. And I want to say that I have no hard feelings towards American Pinball and Mr. David Fix. We talk about him in this interview. And I just want to say, for the record, if you want to come out and you want to get people excited about your pinball company, the silliest thing you can do is go after Canada's Pinball Podcast, especially when you yourself admit that the products that were put out that have been made fun of by Canada aren't even products that you really stand behind or believe in at all. And that's why you're changing up the company. Now, I did listen to Zofia and she joined the Super Awesome Pinball Show. I highly recommend, I highly recommend you listen to that interview and you listen to what the new team over at American Pinball wants to accomplish. 
But I will say this, and you're never going to hear stuff like this on other pinball podcasts. There was a moment in that interview in which Christian Line asked David Fix what his hopes and goals are for Zofia as she joins the team over at American Pinball. And David said that she's already, already reaching his goals that he has for her. And when asked why, he said, because in meetings I have ideas and she's responsive to them. And then here's the funniest part. She's only been at American Pinball for three days. And here we are once again doing these media tours, doing this victory lap before they've even shown us what they can do. Now, I am glad Zofia is joining the team over there. Throughout the interview, though, you realize that when they made these things over at Bally Williams, she was part of a team. And she'll say it. We did this. We made this magical thing happen. We designed this, or Barry O designed it, and I worked with the team to bring it to life. Will this be successful taking one member from the Bally Williams engineering team and dropping them into American Pinball? I hope it works. I hope it's successful. But I do encourage them to stop talking and start doing. Three days on the job isn't long enough to be doing interviews and taking credit for stuff that hasn't happened yet, Mr. David Fix. And this is why Canada's Pinball Podcast is the number one pinball podcast, my friend, because we are going to tell you how it really is, my man. You've got a lot more to lose than Canada does. You now have to deliver a game that is going to back up all of the flexing you've been doing over at American Pinball. And I hope it's good. That's all I want. I just want great games from these companies. But going after the media, we've seen Deep Root do it recently. We've seen American Pinball do it recently. And it's absolutely inane to go after Canada. Because you know what Canada also does? He's fair and he's balanced. And that's the last thing I want to do before I air this interview. So for many, many shows over the last like 59 I've done, what is the topic we've harped on many, many times? Playfield quality. And we've done so many shows about the lack of playfield quality in most of these new games. And Jersey Jack Pinball was in the crosshairs for a lot of that. And especially those Guns N' Roses early playfields where Mirko was once again experiencing pooling and chipping off of artwork on the playfields themselves. And we must have done about like 10 or more podcasts in which we said that Jersey Jack needs to fix this problem. This is inexcusable for such an expensive machine. And there is no way they can ship collector's editions if there are issues. Now, here's always what happens. We complain about the problem for many, many shows. And then what happens if they solve the problem, it gets absolutely almost no airtime and we don't talk about it. Now, I've spent the last couple weeks talking to owners of GNRCE and I'm here to tell you that they are experiencing absolutely zero pooling zero chipping, zero issues. So Mirko and Jersey Jack Pinball have 100%, it seems, solved this problem. These are the nicest play fields with the nicest quality that Jersey Jack Pinball has ever shipped. And so because of this, and because we haven't had too much airtime, I would like to say that Jersey Jack and Mirko have accomplished their goal. And because they've accomplished their goal, and we haven't given them that much airtime on the solution, let's air for them a one-minute cheer of a goal being scored. Pirlo afinando, ya cobra, pelota por arriba.
that was a lot more annoying than I thought it would be. But congratulations to Mirko and the team over there. And I know we shouldn't even have to congratulate you guys. You should have just done this from day one. But we're happy to see that it's working out. Okay, let me air this interview now with the man who's got a show that is super creatively titled a pinball podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome back to Canada's Pinball Podcast. And I want to say this, and I mean this, Travis, you are my favorite pinball podcaster out there, Mr. Travis, you know, maybe as Marv Loco on YouTube. Travis, welcome back to the show. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. It's been a long time. It's been what, since November? It's been too long. One of the reasons I wanted to have you back on is I'm about to have a baby and take a break, a hiatus. And I do want, as my listeners look for another pinball podcast where it's just one dude giving his great POV on pinball, Travis, I want them to go to your show. And, and what's the name of your show for all my fans out there that haven't checked it out yet? Uh, I definitely appreciate it. It's literally just called A Pinball Podcast. So somebody took Canada's Pinball Podcast and I was really forced just to go with A Pinball Podcast. So it is what it is. Yeah, I, I give Travis grief. For, I'm like, that's the least creative name, but actually you, you, you can't miss it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just go down and talk about what's going on in pinball and talk about what's happening at each manufacturer. Because Travis, I'm curious what your thoughts, and there's been a lot of news recently. I thought it was going to be like a dead year, but it's turned out to be a year in which so much has been going on across the board. How's that sound? Yeah, it seems like just with as many manufacturers that are really just in business right now, it's it's almost like we don't have that natural 60 day lull that's been here in the past. It seems like it's 15, 20 days. Something new happens right from somebody else. So it's just constant. And I notice what's happening lately, too, is that companies, even when they don't even have a game coming out or even in the near future, they're all over the place talking about their intentions. And I think let's let's start alphabetically because I think that's a good segue to American Pinball. OK, did you get a chance to hear uh, the interview over at Super Awesome Pinball Show with Zofia? It went up on Friday. I actually have not. OK. So what do you think about, I heard your show about David Fix. So what do you think about American Pinball coming out right now with new management? They've got a new direction. Do you think they can turn this ship around? Do you think Dennis Norman and David Fix and this new mechanical engineer can improve upon? It's probably, the bar is really low. What do you think is going to happen over there? You know, so anybody that's listened to my show, they know that I didn't necessarily agree with how David Fix came out with everything. But when I look at it from a 360 view or I really come out and look, I'm actually very excited about where they're going. Just right. because it's like you said, if the bar is low and I did enjoy Hot Wheels, I didn't so much enjoy Oktoberfest or Houdini, but I feel like if they can get the right players put in place and they have the right goals in mind, it's, I mean, it's exciting to see where they're going. The question is, will they be able to deliver on this? Because we've seen it time and time again to where different companies will be very boastful about their intentions, but, you know, boasting about intentions and actually following through on that, they're two different things. Absolutely. And, and I agree. I mean, I want this company to be successful. Sometimes I think people listen to me ragging on those first few games. And I, and I think most people, while they don't vocalize how they feel about those games, the proof is in the pudding. These games haven't sold. Like All three of them haven't sold very well. So I'm really excited that they have new management because that's the only thing that could create change, right? At American Pinball is they switch up the formula. But, but, I do disagree with this coming out so early and flexing. I mean, David was like going right after me. You heard what he said, right, Travis? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was. He, he was coming hard in the paint 
on you, that's for sure. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he made comments that a podcaster who's only been around for five years, you can't take him seriously because he wasn't buying games in the early 2000s for like a few hundred bucks? You know, honestly, I'm not really sure. I tried to look at it from every perspective. And, you know, from my point of view, if I was in charge of any company, especially when it came from a marketing standpoint or just trying to get the information out from a social media standpoint, the last thing that I really want to do is put out anything that could be construed as negative towards anybody that's in the hobby, especially anybody in the hobby that actually has any type of influence on an audience. And so... It it just it seemed kind of odd to me just because this was basically American Pinball's semi coming out party that they were signaling a shift, like a pivot with their company. And that's what a lot of us were focused on. And then that focus kind of got taken off of that immediately. And the only people that those comments would really offend are essentially your core audience, because there's a lot of new people in pinball just within the past couple of years that even if they haven't been around since the 90s, they're still very much aware of the whole game. I mean, they they have great collections or they do uh, content creation or they read the forums. I mean, there's a lot of people that have gone deep into the hobby, especially this past year with all of us basically being stuck at home. So it really, to me, it didn't make any sense. I would have liked to see them more focused on you know, what they're going to do to provide us better games, such as talking about the themes or the potential mechs that they could do in the future. That's what I would have liked to see. But other than that, it just, I don't know, it just kind of seemed like they went out into left field and they needed to shift back again and really focus in on what they're trying to do at this current time. It was funny too, and a little ironic and maybe a little, maybe hypocritical, but more ironic that they ragged on me, probably mad because I've ragged on their games, but then he went on to rag on Oktoberfest and Houdini and then went on to say, they're still going to make it for you. I, I don't understand that approach. Like, yeah, we agree these games suck. We need to change stuff up, but if you still want it, we'll still make it. What he didn't say, and I know this for a fact, the reason they'll still make it, listener, is they're stuck with all these parts they ordered because they were expecting to make 500 of each game and they did not reach that milestone. All right, so American Pinball, we wish them luck. My final point on this is they have now raised expectations that this next game, Travis, it better be good. After all of this talk, like they're flexing real early. Do you think it's going to be a licensed theme or not? It kind of has to be, no, with all this flexing? It 100% has to be. I mean, I know... I know that everybody is tired of quote unquote dad rock. I know they are. But the fact is they sell regardless of what we all think they do move units. I honestly feel like what American pinball really needs to focus on is finding a dad rock theme that hasn't been done yet. It's something out that is going to sell consistently and then you can start getting momentum in the right direction. You don't have to necessarily come out of the gate and hit an absolute home run. You know, you don't have to have something like spooky pinball to where you have a Rick and Morty that just sells out instantly. While that would be great, you just need momentum going in the right direction. And I honestly feel like that's the safest themes in which you could get your company going in the right direction this day and age. What dad rock would you recommend? If, If you could give them one that hasn't been done yet, which one would you recommend? Probably Rush off the top of my head. Okay. Would be rushed. Okay. That's not because of pin side either. I honestly think that that would make for a good pin. And if they want it to actually upgrade a little bit and try for something that would be a little bit more modern, maybe a Daft Punk or somebody like that, because that music does work very well in a pinball machine. The two I would recommend would be Red Hot Chili Peppers and absolutely. Motley Crue. Yep. Those two, absolutely. Too. For sure. I know for a fact if 
there was a red hot chili peppers, I'd be all in just because my wife is a huge fan. Yeah, mine too. Brenda's like, that's her favorite band. Like something about, I think all these women are really attracted to the lead singer or something, but (laughs) she's all about them. All right, well, we'll see what happens. But I do think if it's unlicensed and they said they were going to do a mixture of both, which is stupid. Like I know David Fix listens to this show. David, stupid. If you do that, you're going to have hits and misses and you can't afford to have misses. But he also said he wants two games out a year. You think they can get there? I think that they can if they're super focused on what they do, because one of the things that they have done well is that anytime they have released a machine, those machines have gone out customers. What we don't know is, is how can they handle large volumes of sell? That's what we don't know. And I'm sure they're probably set up to handle that, especially if they have a lot of parts laying around. Yeah. I mean, look, they build stuff well. Aimtron and AP manufacturing has never been a problem for them. In fact, they build some of the nicest games. And I agree. Like, let's see if they can get the volume up. And I do want them to be successful. In 2021, just David, you need to check yourself when you're coming hard at Canada, man. Because as I said, like he's got everything to lose. I got nothing to lose, man. This isn't my job, but that's your job. So we hope they deliver. So let's go next to because we were talking about Dad Rock. Let's go to Jersey Jack Pinball, Guns and Roses, Travis. Did you think it would be as successful? And and people's responses have been very positive about the gameplay. And you shared your thoughts on the game, and I think you gave a very balanced review. What are your thoughts now on GNR as you see more? more people unboxing them you know i think it was the right theme the right pen at the exact right time for what jersey jack wanted to do and i know you and i we were talking about this way before it was actually released you were adamant that hey this is going to sell out this is going to be huge and i was kind of on the fence whether or not it would be but the more and more we talked about it and the more you that you let me know what this theme actually means to people and the potential of it i got more and more convinced that it's highly likely that this could really do, you know, some awesome sales. What I didn't know was, is whether or not they were actually going to sell out a 500 collector's editions day one. That actually did shock me, but they've absolutely crushed it. I mean, even after playing in person, yes, I found some things wrong with it, but what Pinball Machine doesn't have with it, the one thing that most people need to understand when you play this machine, you're going to have fun. That's the bottom line. And, you know, no matter what you're looking for out of pinball, if your priority number one isn't fun, then I don't know what you're doing with yourself. But this is a fun game. It absolutely is. And any accolades it gets is well deserved. Yeah. And the other reason I was hyping it and telling you for six months, it's going to sell out. I had the damn images of the game in my phone. So I knew what nobody else knew. Yeah. (laughs) if, If I had Led Zeppelin in my phone for six months, I would not be telling you, Travis, just wait till you see Led Zeppelin. No, I would have been like, oh man, like we'll talk about Led Zeppelin later. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it was the right pin at the right time. I think if you're over at Jersey Jack Pinball, I heard a rumor that Eric's next game might even be a music pin. What do you think? Do you think after seeing this success, having Slash over there that could help you line up other musicians, it would make kind of sense for Jersey Jack to go back to this well? What do you think? I mean, why not? If you found your niche within a niche, you might as well. I mean, if it's moving units, and it's producing profit, you got to stay on that train and keep going. And I think that there's a lot of pinball fans out there that I've talked to. A lot of them would not mind at all if they could get a hold of license that have already been done. I mean, ACDC is a band that I've had multiple people mention to me that they wish would get the Jersey Jack treatment. Now, whether that's the smartest thing for them to do, who knows? Maybe they're better off just going and finding bands that haven't been done before. But you know, I think that that is absolutely the smartest thing to do because they've shown that they can do something great for it. And, you know, Slash, obviously, he's a huge figure 
in the music industry. And if he can help them land certain people and if he can help them get that access, that's huge. That That is huge overall for Jersey Jack, and they'll be a huge player for years to come if that does happen. Absolutely. And, and I also, and you can see it in the threads, people want Jersey Jack to make any dream theme. And imagine this, listener of the show, how excited would you be if Jersey Jack remade the following two titles, Ghostbusters and Star Wars? Two games, arguably two of the biggest themes out there, Travis, that the stern versions of the games just, eh, eh, you know? Yeah, I don't. Do you like Star Wars? I didn't even ask you if you liked it or not. You know, I enjoy it, but it wasn't a it, it's literally my dream theme. But the way that the game was with whether it's layout or whether it was code, it ended up not being a bolt to the ground theme for me. But I did have it for a couple of years. I know that pen inside and out and I enjoyed it for what it was. But I do recognize that it could be something so much more. The yeah. problem is, is, and we'll get to this when we talk about Stern. The problem is, is that Jersey Jack and Stern, the way that they produce their machines and their goals of as companies are obviously two different things. It's it's two entirely different ways. So I think we're always going to get two differently produced games. Absolutely. But that being said, I do. I mean, I would love to be able to spend five to nine thousand dollars on a game and that game is packed in as if it's a twelve or fifteen thousand dollar game. But I do recognize that there's a lot of constraints to that in general but no travis they're lying to us these games are so cheap for stern to make the fact that a stern is nine grand is crazy i agree but but we'll we'll get to this on the stern thing i think this is a good debate yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll get there let's um let's close the loop on jjp toy story is next right when do you think they're going to reveal toy story knowing that gnr has sold so many obviously they can't make as many games a week as stern when do you think they reveal this game I was thinking it would be sometime in March or TPF timeframe, even though TPF isn't happening this year. But after this seeing, March or next March, I was thinking this March, you know, the way that they were talking is as if, you know, with Guns N' Roses coming out, they were ready to get their line moving. The problem is, is that this even though Guns N' Roses has come out soon, you know, earlier than any other game that they've done. The fact is, is that it's not really coming out at a high volume just because people are just now getting their CE. So. I could see something coming in the fall, maybe late summer, sometime around there. That would be my guess. You you originally thought March, but obviously they've got to make all these GNRs. They don't have multiple lines going. We know that. Right now they're building the CEs and only building the CEs, which is also kind of crazy, right? That all of your LE customers are now waiting. Jersey Jack's got to get their line up. What do you th I mean, this is their final, they, they moved to this bigger factory. This is their final problem. This is their final quagmire. It's like, it's not that people don't want their games. They just don't want to wait forever to get them. Yeah, I think it's so much more important for Jersey Jack just to learn how, or not necessarily learn how, but to get to where they're operating at scale, where they're manufacturing. I think that's priority at this point, way before announcing any of, you know, any other game that could be coming out. Yeah. And Toy Story has been worked on now for three plus years. So when it does come out, it's going to be not only done, but it's going to be like worked on, polished. Do you think Pat Lawler has looked at the Guns N' Roses success and he's going to up the ante? What do you think? I don't think they can go backwards at this point. I really don't. Now, obviously, Toy Story, I don't expect it to be as jam-packed with assets as Guns N' Roses was. I don't know if any pen in the future could ever be like that. But at the same time, the bar has been raised for their company in general, and they can't go back. It has to be, and I love this game. I love Dialed In, don't like the theme at all. But the way that it is, I love it. But they do have to raise their game up 
from that as well. I mean, because with Pirates, and then, you know, I felt like there was a little bit of step back with Wonka, but then they just crushed it with Guns N' Roses. And so the sky's the limit for them. The question is, is whether or not they're going to try to attempt to recapture the same magic pen to pen, especially when they're using a new designer or a different designer. You know, Guns N' Roses, I think, showed everybody. This is what we want. You want a theme you love, but you want everything from that theme that you love and you don't want to compromise, especially at this price point for all these games. And I think you're right. And I think that bar and that level, everything's going to be measured against it now, no matter which companies, not just within Jersey Jack. And we heard when David Fix said, we are not going to make a game over at AP unless we get all of the assets from that theme. Kind of crazy, right? I hope they can achieve that. They've got Roger Sharp. But I would rather only have two to three new games a year, Travis, that have everything you want from that theme asset-wise than what we're getting now, which is this new Stern approach. Let's segue to Stern because I think they have sort of gone in the other direction. They're starting to go after these big themes and remove the expensive assets from the game. We saw it with Jurassic Park. We saw it with Avengers. What do you think Stern's direction is moving forward? That I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's what it seems like that they're doing, that they're going for volume plays where they're releasing three cornerstones a year. They might have a couple other one-off pens, type pens like a Primus or a Heavy Metal. But I can't, as much as us as customers that we want more, I have a hard time arguing against it just because they're still selling out of pens. They're still moving pens. And yeah. it gets the industry talking. And even if there's something like Led Zeppelin that becomes very divisive, between everybody, there's still another theme or another pen coming within just a few months. I mean, it happens so fast. So, I mean, I can see why they do this just from a volume play. And obviously if they're number one in the industry currently, it's working for them, but it's interesting to see two different, entirely different ways of going about it between them and Jersey Jack. And I think within the next two or three years, we'll get to see who's correct in this approach. That's what I'm excited to see just from you know, standing back and looking at it as a whole. You know, and when I try to think about a metaphor to describe what's going on, right? It, it's think about a restaurant. Imagine if you go into Stern's restaurant, they've got eight things on the menu, right? If you don't like the new menu item, which is Led Zeppelin, that's cool. I've got seven other menu items that you can choose from. You walk into Jersey Jack restaurant, I've got one menu item, and maybe we have a few, well, let's check in the back. We've got a few Willy Wonka collector's editions left and that's it. And that's all you get. And I think that's the big difference is Stern's still going to be able to appease most of their customers. And then the big part is that the distributors are Stern's customers not the customers. Right, right. They're going to sell out anyway. Yeah, every single LE is sold out on day one because distributors have to place their orders and order every LE to get the number they want. So that means they're buying the good games and the bad games at the same volume, pretty much. What do you think about Led Zeppelin? So you've had more time on the pro. I know you shared some thoughts on your show. So what what are your thoughts? You've played it. Most people haven't really played it. And you have one too, right? Yes, I do have a Led Zeppelin Pro. Okay. What are your thoughts? You know, I'm actually enjoying it. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, blow smoke up everybody's ass and say it's the greatest pin of all time or it's not even Stern's best release, obviously, of the year. I would probably put it slightly behind Ninja Turtles, way behind Avengers Infinity Quest. But overall, for me, it's still fun. And I'm finding ways due to the code and due to the music that I am enjoying it. I know that the layout is pretty simple and I totally agree with that. And I get, you know, the thoughts of it being bare that 
people are saying that. And I think that's mainly due to the way, obviously, that the design is. But the design for the Pro is the way it is due to two things. One, that side ramp is gone because of bomb, which absolutely sucks. I think without that side ramp, it really does nearly brick out the game to where you lose a lot of flow from a crucial shot. But two, it's obvious that the layout is the way it is because of that spinner mech, which is built into, you know, the premium and the LE. And you can just tell that the way that's, that this is set up, everything was practically designed around this. And so that is kind of disappointing. But I mean, overall, for me, it's a fun pen. I'm not going to say it's anything more than slightly above average, though. Yeah. So I, it's it's kind of hard. It's hard to really judge it because there is some things that I absolutely hate. I don't like the upper flipper at all with the way that it works. It's the way that the, the design is. The upper flipper is way up top. So if you hit a clean left orbit shot, you have to be ready. It's coming around there so fast. I maybe complete that shot about 5% of the time if I'm lucky. And I'm usually a fairly accurate shot. Yeah. And so that's just, I mean, and that's a design thing and it is what it is and i hate saying that about a pen but overall there are a lot of other fun elements to it so that's i mean that's basically the review in a nutshell it's fun but your mileage is going to very much vary upon what your priority out of a pinball machine is yeah you know, do you ever think that some of these games and i think with zeppelin we see it on the pro and, and guns and roses on the se you just lose so much going from the fully featured game that the designer wanted when they yank out those elements like the upper playfield in GNR. You know, you've got the, the, the center mech in Led Zeppelin, got the, the, the side ramp. Why make the pro version? Why not just like, are you even going to sell that many? I mean, yeah, Sturm probably is because you just throw this in a barcade. But do you think there was even a reason to make GNR SC? You know, <laughs> I don't think that there was personally for that. And I think the fact that they, Jersey Jack, isn't even selling them right now. I think that kind of shows that most people want the LEs and want the CEs anyways. But yeah. at the same time, I think their situation is unique just because it was such a dynamite package overall that you wanted that. I mean, it was clear that that was a, so much better than what their SE version was. Whereas with the Stern, you know, I got to admit, because I do have a few LEs, I had a couple of premiums before and I had a few pros. There are some pins to where the pro is legitimately the better version sure. compared to the premium and LE. I mean, Ninja Turtles is a prime example of that. I have the LE, but that glider has broken down on me twice already to where I've had to get it replaced. And I've played the pro also, and I prefer the gameplay of the pro. It just, it plays so much smoother than what the LE does. And so that's where you kind of get, you know, just different ideas, different versions of these games. And it's sometimes it doesn't match up with what your expectations would be, even if it does cost more money. I mean, that's just kind of the way that the game pinball goes. Yeah. Same with Game of Thrones is better in pro format. Same with Black Knight, I hear too. You know, usually Richie, they say he makes the pro first and then adds on stuff. But this one seems like the reverse. I think the, the full featured version is the way to go. So Stern, what do you think's next? There's the rumor of Godzilla. Do you think that's next? And do you think they have Harry Potter? Let, let's, let's start with those two questions. So with Godzilla, obviously it's pretty much been confirmed via Dwight on Pinside. You know, I would hope it's next, but just because I would think that they're trying to time it up with the release of Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong, you know, in terms of Harry Potter, you know, I really don't know. I've heard the same rumors that you've heard, you know, that this is possible of it coming out. But of course, as soon as it gets put out there, other people are, you know, kind of putting some water on that fire. But I would be curious to see 
If they do have Harry Potter, I would have to assume that that would be a super LE, though. I don't see how you can do that theme with the Pro Premium and LE. I think you would have to just go completely all out for a theme like that. Yeah, here's the thing. So first, I think Godzilla is coming. It is confirmed. I do think Godzilla is going to be Keith Elwin with Zombie Yeti. And I think it's going to be like one of Stern's best-selling games this year. And I think it's going to blow people away. With Harry Potter, though, right? Stern's got to look at this license and be, and, and say... This could be one of our best-selling pins of all time. So yes, while it needs to be packed, right? It's Harry Potter. How do they not try to also just sell it to the masses, though, at a decent price where the volume lies? So I don't know what's happening because I leaked a rumor that isn't true that Brian Eddy is doing it. Joe Kamikow came out and said it's not Brian Eddy, but he didn't say they didn't have the license. So do you think George Gomez would be the one designing this game, Travis? It possibly could be. I mean, he's been sitting on the sidelines design-wise for a while. His last game was what, Deadpool? Yeah, yeah, which was about two and a half years ago now, maybe. Mm -hmm. And so, I I mean, I could see something like that. The only reason why I think that Harry Potter would need the Super LE treatment is just because of the amount of pins and the amount of themes that they put out anyway. And I think Guns N' Roses, I know a lot of people hate it that I made the statement before, but Guns N' Roses proved, or Jersey Jack proved, that people are willing to pay above $10,000 for a theme that they really like, for a game that is really well put together. Okay. So maybe, maybe for certain themes with Stern, there's a new price point to where it might not be that $15,000 price point, but it could be that twelve five. Point. How many Harry Potters would you make for an SLE format and how much would you price it at if you're Stern? I would still do, if it was a Harry Potter, I would probably still do 500 and I would probably price it at 12.5 knowing that I might be leaving money on the table because I could see a pin like that selling out very fast. Yeah, but that but that's it? Just 500? They could sell 5,000 Harry Potters. They could, but that's that's just where you do the ten thousand dollar version for five thousand units. <laughs> see, this is why. This is why I just think they're gonna what they're. I think what they're gonna do is they're gonna put it as like their normal price range. I do. I think it's gonna. I think you're gonna see a pro. I think you're gonna see a premium, and I think you're gonna see an LE. Now they might do an SLE on top of that for whatever. I mean, they could put a a single piece of Harry's like wand in there and charge another ten grand, and people would buy it. It's Harry Potter. Like I don't. You know, Stern's shown us that they don't have to do very much. They can just do a tiny little thing that's different and makes it unique and people will spend a fortune on it. I'm worried about this game. I won't lie. If they do have the Harry Potter license, I think Stern Pinball is probably the last company people want to see with a dream theme like this. If you're George Gomez and you're Gary Stern, do you think they even care that everyone's like, I don't want Stern to make dream themes? No, no, because they're selling out all their games. I I mean, regardless of what we're all saying. The fact is, when you look at, so let's just take last year, for instance, right? There's no shows that happen, so it's not like that they had any presence in front of the consumer, yet Turtles LE sells out, Avengers LE sells out, and from all indications, Led Zeppelin LE sells out. And we know why that is, because obviously they have their distribution units, but, you know, I mean, we can't really argue against that. And until the consumer decides to stop buying pens, until things happen, kind of like what happened with uh, WWE LE, where there's just a bunch still sitting around. You know, I mean, even Guardians of the Galaxy, they didn't sell out of that, but then that machine just kept going. They went to the next game and the next game. And that's really where they thrive, is the fact that they do so much volume, even if they have a dud, they just go to the next one. There's right. another Keith Elwin game waiting just yeah. in a few months. It's, I mean, he is literally the MVP 
of that entire company. I don't know where they would be at without his designs coming out because it's a near guarantee that yep. anything that he touches, it will sell. And that's, I mean, knowing that you have that in your stable and you yeah. have that capability, that's great. Whereas with Jersey Jack, you got to look at it this way. Yes, Guns N' Roses is excellent. It's great. But what if that would have been a dud? What if that would have been like a Wonka coming out or a Pirates when it first came out? You know, they had to stop doing Pirates because it wasn't selling as many units. Yep. And that's that's the risk that happens when you don't, don't come out with volume and you release something that the consumer doesn't react positively to. Then you're kind of screwed yeah. for that current period of time. Stern doesn't operate like that and argue against it. It's more like option versus volume. And those two go together at Stern, which is why they just dominate. It's like, we can do volume and we'll give you options. And if you don't like this, we'll give you this. And then we'll just vault something. If if it's if all's failing, we'll just go back to the to the hits. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why American Pinball said that they want to follow a similar path that Stern's doing. There's a reason for that. It's because it's proven that it works. It absolutely works. It's also crazy to me that people don't follow Stern's model, even just the three-tiered system of games. It's like whenever I see companies like American Pinball, like, we're going to do it. And then they're like, okay, we're going to make Oktoberfest. There's no LE. There's nothing to get collectors to feel like they're going to miss out. They go against the current of what works. And I look at those decisions, and they're boneheaded. And I know why they do it, Travis, because they're like, well, we don't want to be like greedy, or we don't want to do this. We think pinball should be about democracy democratizing pinball and we're going to make it fun for all and we're not going to appease the collectors the rich dudes who want the stupid stuff that you can charge double for but that's what you need to do to stay in business now let's seg wait i think we're not are we done with stern well yeah let's let's segue we talked about harry potter is there anything else they've done a really good job of keeping a tight lid on leaks let's talk about this though do you think steve ritchie should retire you know, that's a loaded question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And the reason why I say that is just because, you know, Stern, they're working so much. You could tell they're getting a, getting a lot of new blood in. But I think somebody with Steve Ritchie's credentials, he would be great as a mentor to somebody there. And he could be doing that right now. And he is doing that. You know? but yeah. And so, I mean, I, in, that, in that way, no, I don't think he should retire as long as he's still around mentoring people and guiding people, guiding the next generation, because he does have historically, he's done a great job. Yep. And it's, it's hard to judge the layouts that he's putting out today. Cause again, we don't know the true constraints that are happening at Stern. Now, when Keith Elwin puts out a game, obviously it's like, okay, well, what constraints are there really? But again, it's two different ways of designing pens. And you know, what I would like to see with him, with uh, Steve Ritchie, because he does make incredibly flowing games, is to be able to kind of mentor people and kind of go from project to project and give just his point of view on something. It doesn't mean that it necessarily has to be just that, but I think that right. he still has a lot of gas left in the tank to make some splashes for Stern and really help out from a mentoring perspective. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think his decades of pinball knowledge, you don't have to like retire from the game altogether. I see him as like the board of directors of design studios over at Stern where he's overseeing everyone and helping them sort of, you know, improve what they're working on. But but when it comes to being like the lead designer, do you think Stern needs to bring in some young blood? Yeah, I do. But at the same time, it's, you know, here's the tough part about it, Chris. I, 
I don't know exactly what the requirements are to be a pinball designer. That's the thing. It's people come from different backgrounds and it's not the easiest thing to do, I would imagine. And you can kind of tell that when you see other designs from other companies to where it doesn't exactly have the flow that you expect or it just feels like a clunker. It's not very exciting. And to me, it's something that designing is an art form and it's something that you have to keep doing at a consistent basis to really cultivate that skill. Yep. And you have to really know the, dif the different parts. So what Elwin really exceeds that, that a lot of people don't realize, he knows every single part that is going into that game. It's not so much as just seeing the game. He actually knows the parts. And something like that, it's, I mean, to me, that's a difficult skill to obtain. It's one thing to be a great pinball player or to even be a solid pinball player. It's a whole other thing to have the eye or design and actually know how to piece that and put that together in AutoCAD. I mean, it's an incredibly tough thing yeah. to do. Let's segue on this note of young designers to Spooky Pinball because Spooky Pinball is a, another company that's a, a player in the game and they've been successful growing that company slowly over time. Rick and Morty sold out in what, four hours, Scott Denisi's uh, sophomore title. What do you think is next over at American Pinball? And Scott Denisi as the designer, I'm curious on your thoughts because I think he's, you know, how does he grow? What do you think you would like to see from Scott Denisi uh, in the future? You know, it's so here's the thing with Rick and Morty and I played it and I still have one on order right now. It's not exactly the most elaborate layout that there is. And obviously TNA was a simplified layout that worked due to a lot of other factors dealing with that pen. And I think that's where Denisi really shines is not not necessarily layout design. I think it's how he puts the whole package together in terms of sound effects, yep. overall music, overall light. So I think all that really comes together nicely. Now, in terms of where Spooky goes from here, you know, I'm not really sure theme wise what they do, just because it's obviously the, you know, the name of the company, it kind of pigeonholes them into just doing horror themed pens, but they kind of got away from that a little bit with Rick and Morty. But I honestly, I don't know what themes are really out there to which they'll they'll sell. I mean, maybe Army of Darkness, something like that. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with that IP or not. No, I, I, I that, am. I am. Sure. It's it's they they got lightning in a bottle with Rick and Morty, right? And I'm sure Jody Dankberg and the people over at Stern and even the people at JJP were like, man, we kind of all slept on this theme. Do you think they must be kicking themselves a little bit, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, it's when the theme was first announced, I was also kind of like, uh, I wonder if pinball people will really respond to this because I was aware of the show. And I mean, I'm glad that they all responded well to it. And I'm still kind of wondering, though, if they responded that well just to the theme or if Spooky got the payoff from being the company that they are and being consistent like they are just building up years and years of goodwill with their customer base. I'm to me, I personally think that that kind of played a part in how many Rick and Mortys really moved day one. And so, I mean, that's a yeah, it's a little bit a of both. Great example right there. What happens when you have the good? Yeah, when you have the goodwill of the customer, it will pay off. Yeah, we're going to talk about goodwill, goodwill agreements when we talk about Deep Root in a little bit. But absolutely, <laughs> they earned it, and they earned it over time, and they earned it by never not delivering and that's how you earn it and not every spooky game has been perfect and they've always been a company that's been 
evolving in the right direction. And so I do think, though, Travis, that they are sort of in a tough spot because as we talked about GNR being the new bar over at JJP, this game, you know, if you're spooky, you just never want to go backwards as a company. You want to continue the momentum of each game's success. So that's the challenge now for them is how do they make a theme that's going to be at that level? Like, do you think Futurama is at that level of Rick and Morty? I don't think so. I don't think it's at the same level, but it can still move some units. The problem that Spooky has is that it, if it takes a year to a year and a half, like 12 to 18 months to get their product fully out, the whole industry as a whole has already just changed. They've yeah. already, it's, it moves at such velocity that, I mean, consider this. Rick and Morty was announced December of 2019, correct? Yep. We're nearly in February of 2021. And we're still in the middle of trying to move those units. And meanwhile, Guns N' Roses, Avengers have already come out, have changed. Guns N' Roses has changed the way pinball is going to be for Jersey Jack moving forward. And so that's the only hang up with Spooky is that it does take so long to get these games out. And let's face facts, 750 pins, it's not like that's a huge number. I mean, that's huge for what Spooky's capability is. But that's my concern is that what game do they announce next? And if they announce it this summer... Let's say that it does sell. It, it does sell really well. Then is that going to be the only pin that they're able to put out until 2023? I mean, it, considering all these other companies are going at such fast velocity, I mean, it's hard to compete when you're doing something like that. It is crazy. And, and I do wonder why Spooky and Chicago Gaming Company don't just unite. Right. Why don't they just unite? Like I mean, a, you've got CGC's yeah. not making stuff right now, right? You've got Spooky needing to make games. They're aren't they near each other? And so, I think they're within like driving distance. Yeah, at least a phone call away. I mean, you would think that something like that would work out, but obviously, I have to assume that there's if there's been conversations, I have to assume that they've already happened and both parties have already decided it wouldn't work out. Yeah. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just making an assumption if it hasn't happened already. Because if you're in Spooky's, if you're in Spooky's corner, you really want to get these Rick and Morty's out as fast as possible. I mean, you've already put a bunch out in the wild. You've already made the adjustments that you needed to adjust from what the consumer said. Because I know you pretty much spearheaded a lot of that early on, and it helped make certain adjustments. Yeah, but isn't Canada just really toxic and he never does anything good for the pinball community? You got to admit, you do wrestle people's jimmy sometimes, no. but I find it entertaining either way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. Like they got to get volume up and Chuck has never wanted to grow too big, right? Because he said it. I don't want to lay people off if we have a dud, you know, and they have to get every game right because they can't have a misstep with all the people in the mouths he has to feed. So we'll see what happens. But again, you're right. We're not going to see another spooky game for probably six months, uh, if not later, just to they have to yeah. get all these games out. Let's who's next? Like Chicago Gaming Company, there's really nothing to talk about. It's Cactus Canyon. It's for forever delayed, but it's not delayed because there's no release date. What are your thoughts on CGC and the pace at which they're moving? You know, I, I'm curious to see because I keep hearing that they, you know, they have either, what is it, an original IP from Ben Heck possibly, or is, does he have an actual license? They're, ben Heck's making a license theme. That's okay. a, that's not a remake. And Mark Ritchie's also working on Cough Cough. Pulp Fiction forever, I hear. Right, right. And I mean, if that's the pin that he happens to have, if Richie has that, I would like to see that come out as soon as possible just because to get the ball rolling for them up there, if that's the direction they're going to go. But yeah, I mean, it just, the silence, the radio silence on that end, it's understandable because this goes with, you know, what we were talking about. If you don't have anything to put out, there's no need to boast about it. 
Yep. But at the same time, I'm kind of wondering because there's, you know, three different pins that's rumored to be coming out for them. And I'm kind of wondering what is it going to be and when's it going to be here? I mean, there's just there's no telling at this point from my end. I know. And also Dennis Nordman said he's designed a couple games for CGC as well. So it's like <laughs> they've got all these games designed. They just need to make them. Now, Churchill doesn't make this the focus of their business and they make so much money, Churchill cabinets. The pinball division is just like lunch money for them. I hope it's uh, Cactus Canyon, though. Whatever it does is. come out, I do kind of hope it's Cactus Canyon that comes out next. It is. Is what I'd like to see. It is. Let's see if well, my then. fact checkers... Uh, say otherwise, but it is. Okay, let's talk about Deep Root. So obviously, we've seen a lot of movement from Deep Root this holiday season. They took non-refundable deposits. And what do you think about after all of these years, Travis, after all of this J-pop hype, just 130 people had the guts to go in on Raza? I mean, it did exactly what we thought it would do a couple of years ago. That's just the way that it is. They're leading off with, even though it is a pen that kind of is in, I don't know, online community lore where we all know about it. But people that are outside of the online community, there's not too many people that obviously know about it. It doesn't move the needle for anybody. And that was my main concern with Deep Root putting this out first, that it's not something that would really build momentum for your company. And it just kind of seems like they're slogging through this at this point in time. It's just, you know, it's I don't want to call it a mess, but it just seems like from the outside looking in, you know, I feel like that this is just a huge monkey that they want to get off their back and they just want to move on to the next game at this point, especially when, you know, it's with all the history behind this. I just don't see why you want to stick around with this pen anymore. Let me ask you a question. If they didn't do non-refundable deposits, do you think they have many more orders for this game? It's possible. I, I think that a lot of people didn't order up front just because they were a little bit gun shy. I think it's also a lot of people haven't truly seen this pen. You know, I mean, it's only been at, I think, just maybe one or two shows. I know I played it down at uh, Houston Expo back in 2019 when it was a prototype. But I think it just, what worries a lot of people is just history-wise. When there's these companies that come out that seem like they're almost overnight companies out of nowhere that want you to put down money for a pen, it does make people antsy. And I think that a lot of people are kind of onto that. Now, it is it is nice that at least for a period of time, it didn't seem like Deep Root was going after that. But the fact that they decided to take pre-order money without and now it's clear that they didn't even have the vendors set up fully. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, I've never seen that happen in the history of pinball before. And I've been, you know, with all the hyperbole and and all of the flexing this company's been doing over the years about how they were going to ship more games in one year than every manufacturer combined they released one game you can well they didn't release it you can order one game and the vendors aren't lined up i mean that's a terrifying bit of information no yeah I, well so a little bit of my background i know a lot of people in the manufacturing industry and i have a few friends that have been in it for over a decade. And that's kind of where my background is with online sales and everything and product development. And I talked to them directly asking them, you know, is this normal? Because I don't know too much on that side. 
And they all let me know that this isn't normal, that we have our vendors 100% down. That's one of the main priorities whenever you're doing this. And, you know, out of that email that came out, that was the thing that really caught my attention. It wasn't the beginning of it when he was talking about, you know, misinformation and all this and that. It was that little nugget that was put in there. It is. It's kind of it's a major red flag to me if I have my money put down and the vendors aren't fully vouched for. They're not they're not even fully in place because that just means that you run an extreme risk of, you know, delays of delays galore, because you're going to have a certain pattern of all these vendors sending in something that is not exactly the perfect product. There's always going to be defects and you're trying to find what your tolerance is for those defects. Now, if you're trying to do that while meeting a deadline at the same time, and that deadline isn't a year from now, it's legitimately just a couple of weeks from now that, I mean, that is really extremely redlining that product. And I don't know where they're going to go with that. And hopefully they get it figured out. It's just that kind of floored me right there that they, it, that it didn't seem like that they had all their vendors put in place from the wording of the email. I mean, is that the hints that you got from that, Chris? That's what they said. I mean, it was literal. It said, we don't have 30% of the bomb figured out yet in terms of the parts. And then when they talked about the pin bar, he wrote specifically how they don't have the vendor lined up or they found a vendor who they might be able to work on this thing and put it into their production schedule. But because it's such a low volume, it's harder and harder to, for them to, to lock up a vendor. But here's the terrifying part. It's I, I get that they need to find the vendor. That's not To me, that's not the part that would worry me, even though that is very worrisome. Part that terrifies me the most if I'm in on this is knowing they don't have the vendor yet, knowing they don't know when these parts are coming in, knowing they don't have certification yet. He also talked about how they need to get the game certified. He then put out mid-March is when you can expect your game. I mean, how does the Deep Root company draw the conclusion of mid-March when all of this other stuff is up in the air? Yeah, that's a big turnaround. And my, the thing that I have to assume is that all the vendors are probably based in America to even remotely be close that type of turnaround. And that's probably assuming that everything goes smooth, that the products that are coming in aren't defective, that the first machines that they put together, assuming that they do gather all the vendors, that they're not defective. I mean, and that's the one thing that a lot of people aren't really thinking about, that once these machines start getting produced, if they realize that something is wrong, then you got to go back and fix it again. And that's very difficult to do, especially if you haven't manufactured anything yet. The reason why Stern can get away with the adjustments is because they are great at manufacturing. They can pivot very fast, just within a couple of days. Yeah. Whereas if you have a company that's never done this before, that even struggles to gather up the vendors, it's, I mean, that is, that's a scary thought. And I hope that they can do it, but I almost feel like knowing what I know from the manufacturing perspective, just from talking with all my friends about it that have been in it for over a decade, I, you know, I feel like March is a very, very, I won't say it's impossible. I just feel like it's a very aggressive date. And I hope that they make it. I mean, it's again, it's kind of self-imposed at, at the same time, even with people already in. But I mean, I, I guess I can understand that they're trying to make sure that everybody that's still in, that the nerves are calm, that people are trying to build that trust up. But Again, that's just, what, yeah. four or five weeks from now, four or six weeks from now? I mean, I'll say it. I'll, I'll say it if you won't. It's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> if oh. any, I will say this right now on the air. If anyone gets their Raza in mid-March, if, if they start shipping Raza's in mid-March, and I mean like it's being produced, I will. Let's, let's, let's figure out something for Canada to do. I will, I will give 
$1,000. Okay, Brenda's going to kill me. I will donate $1,000 to a pinball charity if I'll, I'll donate it to the Pinball Hall of Fame. How about that? They need some money, right, to get that thing up and running. I will donate $1,000 to the Pinball Hall of Fame in mid-March if Raza's are shipping. There you go. You guys heard it. Because I've been betting some of these Raza owners, Travis, you're not going to see your game for six months. I don't think you're going to see it before July. I don't. I don't. It's. I mean, even with just a little over 100, it's, again, it's going to be very tough to do because the fact is they have to make a few machines anyways and then have everybody look over it. Yeah. And make sure that it's to their quality that they expected. They can't just all of a sudden fire up the line and just start throwing everything out there. They have to see a product from start to finish and have everybody look over it and say, okay, is this the way that we need it done? Is this the proper way? And that could take time also. That yeah. may not happen within just a day. It's a very difficult process. It's not easy at all. And anybody that's watching this, that's where you should have so much more respect for what Jersey Jack is doing, for what Stern's doing, for what Spooky's doing, for what American Pinball's done to actually manufacture these, these games and get them out to the public. Absolutely. And look, they're not making pizza pies here. They're making highly complex mechanical devices. And it just, it, you know, it, you have to go back and look at the entire story of Deep Root. And, and I do hope they figure it out. But they did show a lack of respect to all these other companies that you just mentioned when they said they'd be able not only to do what they did, they're going to trump all of them. And here we are, 2021. And all we want are the games. I keep telling this, you know, when I used to talk to Robert, when he would still talk to me, People just want the games. Just get the game out. Like all this other stuff. We don't need boxes. We don't need levelers. We don't need all this stuff surrounding. What is he called? The total pinball ownership experience. Well, let me tell you, that doesn't happen unless you have a pinball machine. That's the beginning of it all. <laughs> That's the key element to it. Yeah, we got <laughs> the box, is. we got this, we got... Th well, where's the pinball machine? Well, that's where we have to figure it out, that part yet. And that's so J-pop, though. This is the part that other people forget. Here's the, here's the thing, Travis. This game, since that we've seen it in December, every, where's John Papaduke? Where is he? We haven't seen him interviewed once. We haven't seen him talk about Raza. We've never seen him. He's in none of the Deep Root videos. Why do you think they're keeping him so behind the scenes here? You know, I, I'm not sure. They obviously, when there was the debacle of first showing Raza, just I think it was back in September yep. when they had the Deep Six or the Deep Five, whoever went down there to look at it, they kind of seemed to pivot towards putting Bowden front and center as not necessarily a spokesperson, but he was definitely front and center ahead of Robert in terms of trying to show off uh, Raza trying to do, I mean, he's done some media stuff since then. And I don't know, it's just, it kind of seems like that they've sidelined J-pop is yeah. what it, yeah. I mean, not just seems like that's what it is. And the only conclusion that I can really come to is just, to me, I think internally, they kind of know what they have on their hands with Raza. If I'm them, I just want to get this game out and I want to get to the games that I've talked about that yeah. I have. I'm saying the problem is, can they actually do that? That's the part. They can't get the first game out. So I don't know if you can't get the first game out, how do you get the second, third, fourth, all the way up to the 18th game out? That makes it really difficult to do. And here's the crazy part with all this focus always being on Raza, because I know Robert just wants to get it out too, because I hear from people who saw it and I'm not saying this as a joke, that food truck and Barrio's game is incredible. And it's got all that magic and world under glass that people have been hoping for. And you've got Barrio there. You've got John Norris. People forget there's a huge team here. This isn't just a John Papadue sort of Zidware 2.0. No, this is a company with a lot of people that worked on a lot of games. 
And so if you don't get this Raza out, you're not going to see Goonies. You're not going to see Food Truck. You're not going to see anything else in that lineup. Yeah. And I mean, the big thing with Deep Root, do we know who's the director of their operations or manufacturing there? Does anybody know that? No. And so my point being, and I'm not saying that they don't exist, but my point being is that above all else right now, that that would be the most priority position within that company. Somebody that knows manufacturing inside and out and tell Robert like it is and you know, tell them this is absolutely what we need. Because if all these great people are coming up with all these great ideas, if we can't make those ideas come to life, then it doesn't matter at that point. Right. You know, so to me, that's where the focus should really be. That's where the priority should be upon not worrying about 10, 15 games, just worrying about getting somebody in there that knows manufacturing that's been in the business for years and years and can get them off the ground. And that's the key. And I think a lot of I guess a lot of our drawbacks or a lot of our thoughts on this company would really be alleviated if and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Chris, because I know I pronounce my words wrong all the time. But I hope that that would calm everybody's nerves if DeepRoot would just show who is directing the manufacturing. If they can come out with that and say, here's our leader, here he is, and he does an interview or she does an interview, that would go a long ways that we know that they're serious about getting these games out. No, I agree. And, and, and that role is so important. The part that scares me is that that's the person who needs to tell you, you can say mid-March or don't say mid-March, but they said mid-March. So... We'll see what happens, I guess, come mid-March. Yep, we'll know, and then we might, we'll either all be celebrating or we'll be kicking the can down the road again. Uh, Travis, thank you so much. We're right at the hour point. You know, I try not to do super long shows. For fans of Canada's Pinball Podcast, where can they find your show, A Pinball Podcast? So you could find me on basically any podcatcher, just looking up A Pinball Podcast, or you can find me on YouTube at uh, Marv Loco. Okay. And you also have a great streaming channel uh, on YouTube. Marv Loco is the name. How often do you do shows? Because that's the other thing my fans are going to want to know because I'm, I'm, I'm almost too prolific on this damn podcast. But how many shows do you do a week? Oh, gosh. I try to do at least one a week and I try to put out a couple of videos a week. Now, it's I mean, it comes and goes. I mean, the tough part is and you know this since you're going to have to take a break with a uh, new child on the way. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. But I've got four little ones of my own, and it's just whenever they need to do something, it obviously takes priority. I mean, you're going to find that out <laughs> very soon. But, yeah, I try to at least get out one show a week and a couple of videos a week is my overall goal. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. I'm, I mean, I'm going to find out. We have, we're excited and terrified at the same time. But it's, it's, it is why I need a break because my focus in February and into March will be the baby. So, Travis, you were on the drop down for the Twippies for – podcast or streamer i think for youtube for youtube actually. yeah yep. okay well congratulations on that because even just no, there's so many sure. more streamers than podcasts so just to be nominated in that category it is a is a feat yeah definitely i'm very appreciative of it for sure i mean just any type of recognition from anybody i mean to me even if somebody just takes a minute out of their day to even watch or listen i'm i appreciate it for yeah. sure and listener, I think you're going to love this guy's material. And, I, and I've been listening to you since day one. And again, I think what I love about Travis's stuff is there's no agenda. There's no, I think you might be sponsored, but there's no like. But I'm free to say whatever I need to say. Exactly. Exactly. And and he'll, and he'll give you like a well thought out 
point of view. So it's it's good. I, I love listening to you. I feel like I get a little bit smarter every time I check out your show. So I hope you guys give him a chance and I think you'll you'll really appreciate it. Travis, thank you for joining. Have a great Sunday and uh, I guess enjoy the Super Bowl and I'll, I'll, I'll catch you throughout the week and we'll talk about pinball and, and watch our wives roll their eyes as we continue to <laughs> talk about the silliest item on planet Earth. Well, hey, I got to say, just enjoy your last few days of not having total chaos because while being a dad is the greatest thing in the world and I'm so happy for you that you get to experience that it does get crazy that first month but you you won't trade it for anything in the world definitely congratulations to you both I know well that's why you know we get so few days off it's so funny it's so funny this country how we revolve everything around work right it's like come on dad should get like at least a couple months off like we don't just got you just got to take them off yeah. I mean, that's that, that's what I did. I just I, I own my own business at the time. And I just said, forget it. I'm ignoring everything for a month straight. Yeah. And I mean, pre- that's the only thing to do. Well, my you're company's just, good. I'll get at least a month. I get I think I get something like six weeks, which isn't bad. But Facebook, get this six months paid if you work for Facebook. <laughs> paid. We're in the wrong business then. <laughs> men, and, men and women, six months paid. We are in the wrong business. Facebook, if you're hiring, look me up, please. Man, if only we worked at GameStop, we'd be we'd be <laughs> off every day. Um, Travis, oh, I've been, been riding that train for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's amazing. Travis, have an awesome day, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end.